You are listening to the Rising Phoenix podcast. This is a podcast about maternal mental health. Disclaimer, we are not professionals. We are moms who've experienced this ourselves and want to share our stories and stop the stigma. Heads up, some content may be triggering. We are recording from the Stone Sheba podcast studio in Provo, Utah. Check them out on Instagram for more info on our podcast and more. Hey everybody, this is Leslie. And I'm Lindsay. And we are here with my good friend, Andrea. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Andrea has an awesome story. We have known each other for 10 years. Yeah, I think pretty close. That's crazy. I know, we're old. We really are. No, we're not. We were young when we met. That's true. We were really young. Yeah. Anyway, so she's going to share her story with us. And first of all, um, how long have you been a mom? I have been a mom. My oldest will be 15 in October. Yeah. So a long time. Three kids? So I have three kids. I have a 14-year-old daughter, an 11-year-old daughter, and then we have a big gap, and then I have a four-year-old son. I guess we have a four-year-old son. But so, yeah, we're busy. We've got kind of every age group and every stage of life. It would be hard to get back into baby mode after that long. It is really hard. It's you you forget it and, yeah. and it comes back but <laughs> <laughs> but maybe not how you want it <laughs> no. but it's good it keeps you young and did you get postpartum with your first yes so I was very young when I had Kaylee so my oldest I got pregnant with her when I was 21 had her when I was 22 um, I wanted to be a mom my entire life like when I was growing up, you know, you would go to these career things and they would ask you, what do you want to be? Pick a career. And people would say, I want to be a teacher. I want to be this. And I'd say, um, I want to be a mom. And they'd say, no, no, we need you to pick a, re- a real career. And I was like, oh, but that's what I want to be. So I always, I never wanted, I never had this big, you know, ambition to have a big career of any kind. I wanted babies. And So I got married young, and shortly after, I was like, all right, let's get, you know, let's start having babies. (laughs) Let's start my career. (laughs) Yeah, let's start my career here. (laughs) And my husband um, (laughs) wasn't as anxious as I was, I guess. And so he got me cats, and that held me off for a little bit. Um, And Duly noted, guys. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Your wife wants a baby, buy her an animal. (laughs) Um, And it was kind of a joke that we, we still laugh about, and... So then finally I was like, sorry, like I'm not waiting anymore, you know? And, uh, and so we got pregnant with Kaylee and we were living in California at the time and they offered a test that you could take a blood test that, um, would give you birth defects, like could tell you if there was any birth defects that were, you know, kind of like a potential screening or whatever. And I didn't even know at the time I had just signed the paper. And so they did blood work. I mean, they did it between, it was like 12 and 14 weeks. And they called me at work one day and it was a genetic counselor from Kaiser saying, not like, hey, you know, we need you to come in for some further testing, blah, blah. It was, your child is gonna have this, 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 and this. And it ranged from her organs growing outside of her body to spina bifida to brain, de- I mean, we, they, they had no idea. And we were just, I mean, like shocked, you know, like, where is this coming from? And I can really pinpoint, I think that that moment is where everything changed because I started, you know, you go into this blissful, like pregnancy, you know, where you think nothing's going to go wrong, everything's great, I'm going to be fine. And it was that moment where things changed. Um, And so we had to go and do a ton of more tests. My husband had to be tested. Um, you know, it was a lot of ultrasounds and blood work and all this stuff. And everything looked so normal, except that there was some blood, I guess, that was like in my uterus and they thought it could potentially be a birth defect. Hmm. So they wanted to watch me. I ended up having preterm labor at 31 weeks. I started going to early labor with her ended up having contractions nonstop for six weeks. Like I was miserable, mm-hmm. but I would go to work every day because I was, I made, I was the one that was making the money. My husband was working, going to school and it was just, it was so emotionally exhausting just because in the back of our head, we didn't know if this baby was going to be okay. 
and here we are we were babies you know we were so young and we just you know we knew we were gonna love this baby and we wanted her no matter what but we just you, we never really thought yeah that There's was gonna no happen to prepare no for that. yeah so I ended up having her at 37 weeks my water broke um and she came out teeny tiny she was five seven mm. and but a little spitfire and <laughs> leslie can tell you she is she's gonna get the world yeah she we just have to use her powers for good not evil <laughs> so i tell her channel um, them. yes <laughs> and it was um you know like the postpartum part of it was was fairly normal recovery everything my mom came and stayed for five weeks I was really lucky I was the first one to have the grandbaby in our family so it was very exciting and did your daughter have any of those problems so no they had detected no so she comes out and she is perfectly healthy so this whole time they had stressed and worried us Mm. and you know and and it could have been handled so differently of course well especially they told you on a phone call yes hi yeah and then I had to go back to work and be like my, you know my baby I don't know yeah how do you process yeah that? it was just it was very hard and but um the first time I remember um having anxiety or postpartum issues was um I was taking a shower and we had it was kind of one of those clear shower doors you know like a little bit mm-hmm. you know not totally clear but you could still see through it and I would put Kaylee in like her little bouncy seat and put her right outside the door so how I mean, old was she? She was maybe two months old, okay. we'll say. So, you know, not very not very old. Um and she I could I mean I could see her through the door. And I would open the door every ten seconds to make sure she was still there. And I I knew I remember thinking, This is this is a little different, but at the time not really thinking anything of it my husband was gone like 18 hours a day we lived you know two states away from my family I didn't we had one car so I was homebound a lot I was very lonely you know so it was very isolating and so and I didn't really know what to expect it was my first child um and I started having a lot of what I now know are irrational thoughts um we had spent a lot of time on her nursery and it was in the front room of the house that we were living in um, you know, every paycheck we put a little bit of money in and, you know, spent, and it was just the cutest thing ever. I was convinced that somebody was going to drive through the house and hit her room. And, and if you look at the house, because my mother-in-law lives in that house now, it, like there, it, it's physically impossible for a car to do that. But I was so convinced that it was going to happen. I made my husband refinish another room so that we could move her to a different part of the house. And then I didn't even let her sleep in that room. I made her sleep next to me. And it was the, you know, checking on her breathing every five seconds and, you know, holding her while she slept and not sleeping. And so, you know, the lack of sleep and then the stress of everything, I think just wore on me and wore on me. And I was really lucky because my family was very supportive, um, but they, they really didn't know what was going on and I didn't know what was going on, which, now looking back, I'm like, wow, like, how did I not realize what was going on? How did nobody not see it? I was with my family. I would travel back and forth between Washington and visit them. And so I was around people a lot. And when I was with people, I felt safer, you know, but when I was alone with her, I was very scared. And it was never a fear that I would hurt her, but I was always scared that something was going to happen. And I just remember always feeling on edge and feeling scared and worried and like worst case scenario. Were you talking to anybody about how you were feeling? No. But and you did tell your husband that you wanted to move her room. Yes. And he, and I remember him, he was like, okay. And I told him why. And he was like, he kind of laughed it off, just kind of like, okay, but he just did it. And, and at the time, I think he was just like, we were just so busy and crazy that it was just like, okay, you know, whatever, whatever helps you sleep, you know? Mm-hmm. She's just tired. Yeah, she's just tired. <laughs> you know, if that what, if that helps you sleep, you know, great. So it wasn't. It really wasn't until Kaylee was over a year old that I happened to be. You know, internet was still kind of. It wasn't like something you went to all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and gosh, that makes me sound so old, right? No. <laughs> but I happened to be. I don't even know how. Like anxiety or anything came up, but I happened to click on something and it talked about postpartum anxiety. I'd, I'd heard about postpartum depression, 
but I had never heard of postpartum anxiety. Like I had never been spoken of, I had never even heard the term. And somehow I had gotten a link or clicked on you know, an article or something, and I was reading through it, and I had every single symptom. And at this point, I was feeling a lot better. You know, she was getting older, and so I was coming out of it, and I was able to recognize what I had been going through. And I just remember sitting there and staring at the computer and thinking, oh my, this is me. Like, this is what I've been going through. And, but I, there was really nothing, like at the time, I really was able to come out of it. There wasn't really any lasting effects. I, we moved on with our life. Life was crazy. We moved when she was 15 months old. And so things, it really wasn't like something I dwelled on at that point. Do you feel like being able to associate it with something that you could relate to helped you heal? I think having like a name to it. Yeah. Yeah. I think being like, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I think that really was was something I was like, oh, hey, I'm not that crazy. Because I know we put that word crazy out there a lot. And I would feel like that all the time. And I was finally like, wait, there's a name for this? And it was really interesting. I just remember, I can remember that feeling even all these years later. Thankfully, I don't know if I was just young and bounced back quicker. Um, you know, maybe I was naive. Um, but when I when we decided to get pregnant with our second daughter, I did bring it up to my our new doctor. We had, at this point we had moved to Washington State, and we were living with my parents. Um, my husband was still going to school, which he did forever. <laughs> and um, I happened to mention it at one of my appointments. I said, "Hey." I, I'm pretty sure that I had a pretty severe case of postpartum anxiety with my first daughter. And I remember her stopping and saying, really? Were you ever diagnosed? Did you ever talk to anyone? I said, no. And when I was telling her about it, I remember her just stopping and sitting with me and like going over everything. And she was like, okay. She's like, you know what? We're going to really talk about this and we're going to really watch you this wow. pregnancy. And it was, and it, it was like the first time that somebody really acknowledged back to me that it was like I was validated, I guess, kind of that what I knew in my heart I had had, but having a medical professional tell me this, you know, yes, in fact, you do have it. So we went through the same thing with our second daughter. We had the same testing done, and we were told again that she had birth defects. Well, this time, thankfully, it was handled better, and we found out quickly that she was, she was healthy, um, I again had preterm labor, again had complications, was put on bed rest. Um, my body is just not meant to carry babies. <laughs> it really isn't. Um, we were very lucky to live with my parents at the time. I had lots of help, um, had a really good friend system. Um, and so when it came time to have Kaylee or have Presley, our second daughter, um, we had talked about kind of what our plan of action was, my, my doctor at the time. And we had talked about, you know, going on medication and kind of what she's like, but I really want to watch you. And it's up to you kind of what you want to do, but these are your options. And I was like, there's options? Like, I don't have to go through this again. Um, and so I said, why don't we just wait and see how I feel? You know? Yeah. Kind of thing. So when Presley was about six weeks old, um, I started having the irrational fears again. I started having these fears of her getting hurt, me falling, you know, and, and, and her getting hurt or, um, someone breaking into the house or, you know, all these, all these irrational fears again. Um, and they weren't as strong as with Kaylee, I think, because I knew that I had my mom or somebody there to help me a lot of the time, but I was still alone a lot. My parents would travel and Bo was gone again all the time. So then now I had a toddler and this little baby. So about six weeks, um, postpartum, I had a pretty, pretty good, kind of breakdown um and my parents took Kaylee and came to Utah um they were looking for a house to buy and they were like you know you just really need a break you know just we're gonna take her you're gonna just get some sleep um and I didn't get better but I went to the doctor that time and I told her I said hey I'm not okay and what you said might happen is happening um, and so that was the first time I ever went on any sort of antidepressant. In your life? In like my you life. no history of... No. And I have had oh. anxiety my entire life. From the time I can remember, 
I have had some form of anxiety, but I had never been on any sort of antidepressant and anxiety medication until that that time. Wow. Um, and so it was it was an interesting kind of time to you know for me to start it, but I felt really good about it because I did not want to go through that again. Um, and so it definitely was a lot easier than um, how it was with Kaylee. Mm-hmm. I would say, I think number one, I knew what to expect. I was had a doctor that was you know watching me and family that was you know aware of it, and I knew what to look for. Um, we moved again shortly after that um, to Utah, and I was okay. I was doing really well. Like, were you still on the medication? I was on the medication, and I stayed on it. I, I'm trying to remember. I don't. I don't really remember. I always remember staying on a small dose. I was never on like a really high dose. Um, but mentally, I was okay. Like, I went and I was okay again. Like, it was funny. I kind of bounced back again. Did you nurse with either of them? So with Kaylee, I, I did both. She was she was really sick as a baby and had a bunch of health problems not connected to the birth problems but other things um and so she didn't last very long but presley nursed until she was 22 months and i probably would have still been nursing you know had i not quit her so (laughs) um and i think i don't know if that helped i don't know i mean it was great for me i really enjoyed it that was like one thing i felt like i was good at yeah i felt like i really sucked at being pregnant (laughs) i felt like i really just my body failed me but I was really good at nursing. That's awesome. So that was kind of a rewarding thing for me. So I don't know if mentally that really did help me, um, you know, the extra hormones and good hormones and mm-hmm. stuff. Um, but bonding. Yes. Did any of that affect your bonding with your babies? You know, I think with with Kaylee, it was really hard. She was just a hard baby in general. She didn't sleep. She was sick all the time. And I was so anxious and so scared all the time and we it's interesting to look at their personalities now and see you know just how they they come out the way that they are I adored both of them and they were my world I mean I loved having one baby there was something about just having that one kid and she was my world we'd go for walks every day and even though I was going through all that stuff it was still I still would get up every morning my house was spotless you know when you had that one kid and you could keep it clean (laughs) Right, and I would get her. I'd give her a bath and do her hair perfectly and get her dressed, and then you know I would work out and you know I don't know. It was back in those days, <laughs> but um, so I didn't let it affect me as much that I let it take away my joy, I guess, from being with her. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So with with Presley, everything was good. Um, and then when she was about two and a half, three, I was like, all right, time for baby number three, right? You know. And shortly after that, I was diagnosed with uh, reactive arthritis. I had gone, had surgery for endometriosis um, and contracted a virus that led to reactive arthritis. And it was debilitating. I was literally bed bound for almost six months. I had people taking care of me. I was spending every weekend with my parents and I'd come home during the week um, because Kaylee was in school. It was awful. And it affected every joint in my body. So that was the beginning of this chronic health issues that I started having. Um, and so having another baby was put on hold. We just, it just wasn't possible. Yeah. There's no way my body could handle it. Um, so we took time to, to heal my body. And so there was a lot of time to kind of, you know, I was, I was dealing with so much other stuff at the time um, that my mental health started really was being affected as well. And, but in the back of my mind, I, oh, I really, really wanted a third baby. I just felt really strongly that we needed a third baby. You know, I had these two great girls and things were good and life was great, but I just really needed that third baby. And so I worked really, really hard. I got off every medication. I exercised. I did everything I could to get my body in the best shape I could to get pregnant. And again, my husband was very concerned, you know, um, and I said, it's going to be okay. It's going to be fine. Everything's going to be okay. And um, we got pregnant with our son, Vaughn, um, who just turned four in June. And my body was not okay. And I was a little bit older. You know, I was in my 30s at this point. And 
to go from having babies in your 20s and then having a very, very serious health condition and then having a baby in your 30s. Like, it was so different. Um, I had a subcorneonic hemorrhage with him at 11 weeks. And so from 11 weeks to 14 weeks, I had three big hemorrhages where we thought we lost him. Um, It was very traumatic because if anyone has ever had one, it is not just like... It's terrifying. It's terrifying. Mm -hmm. And my husband described it as a murder scene. Mm. He's like, I thought someone had come in and stabbed you. And it, I think that, that was that moment I can pinpoint that triggered my mental health for this, this next pregnancy. And so it's very interesting to look back and see that there's a point in every pregnancy that I can pinpoint where my mental health was affected. And with the girls, it was those health screenings when they told me, you know, these babies, they could have these problems. And suddenly I was like, okay. And with Vaughn, it was, you know, this this hemorrhage and almost losing him and then being put on bed rest and the stress of everything. And I just was not okay. And I was so blessed. I have the most wonderful midwife. Um, She delivered my niece and she delivered um she's now delivered my son vaughn and then um just delivered the third of my my other sister her third baby now so she's delivered five of the eight grandbabies in my family (laughs) and so she's like she's our our dark-haired sister week (laughs) (laughs) um and so i went to her and she was she was wonderful but i continued to have medical problems i had a kidney stone that was lodged in my in my right kidney while you were pregnant while i was pregnant they couldn't do anything about it so it just stayed there no morphine there was nothing oh it was like it was just it was antibiotic shots so i would i would get these chronic kidney infections um and i was just sick i was so sick all the time um so as soon as i was recovering from this subcornear hemorrhage it went into these kidney infections that were horrific and so painful it was so hard because we had just moved into a new house there was so much i wanted to do i was so excited to finally be having this third baby and i wanted to be doing all this stuff and my girls had been just started a new school and I was like the room mom you know I was the mom that did everything I went on every field trip I did everything and suddenly things were just at a stop again and I think it started to kind of revert me back into a not very good place mentally um, because of the chronic illness that I had been dealing with before and but this time I actually had stayed on medication um, I never went off of it um, I ended up going back on it at 12 weeks. So I, I made it through the first trimester without without it, which I think if you can do it, that's okay. If you can't, there's nothing wrong with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I just thought maybe I would be okay. And once that, hem- that hemorrhage started, it, I wasn't okay. And so um, I decided to go back on, on my antidepressants. And I think it's a good thing I did. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah. was going to say good for you. Yeah. Um, so we we made it through the rest of my pregnancy um, barely. I had high blood pressure. It was I had you know multiple um, false labors, and I would you know go in for stress tests multiple times a week. I mean it was just so stressful, and my body was just so stressed. And I was like, okay, okay, this was probably not the greatest idea, right? <laughs> but. I was so excited to have this baby and my blood pressure was super, super high. So they were going to induce me at 37 weeks and I went into labor the day before. That's hilarious. Yeah. My water breaks and I'm in denial. And my sister was flying in that night because she was living in California at the time. And I'm, I ended up having him within six hours. Wow. Oh. But I had, it had been so long since I had a baby. I was yeah. like talking to my midwife and and finally she's like you can't talk through contractions i gotta get i gotta find someone to watch my kids like we're going to the hospital i'm like no 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 tomorrow <laughs> tomorrow i have stuff to do today my hair's not done <laughs> <laughs> so um so after he was born my blood pressure was still really really high they put me on magnesium i don't know if anyone's been on magnesium before but it is miserable makes you feel like you have the flu makes you feel like you are dizzy and kind of out of it so i don't really remember a lot of that first day full day after he was born and into the next day um and I had all this I still had the kidney stone in my in my kidney oh my gosh (laughs) and so I was miserable it was just hard but I 
instantly bonded with the with that baby i adored him from the minute he came out it was just like i knew his face i knew him i was like okay this is this i've been waiting for you like you know it was this instant connection um but it was really interesting once they finally took me off the magnesium and i was getting ready to um be discharged um one of the other midwives came in and she is a she's an older woman so kind and she came and sat next to me we were just kind of talking and she was asking me you know kind of how i was feeling she had followed everyone in the office kind of knew my journey because i was in there so many times yeah and she sat next to me and she kind of stopped talking and she patted my leg and she said honey no more babies okay and i looked at her and i said okay okay yeah no i think that's a really good idea yeah and i needed that i needed her to tell me that because i think i would have always felt like no i should have one more you know i'll just push it and i i feel I feel like she was very inspired to tell me that, yeah. um, whether from medical or whatever perspective, but I'm so grateful that she told me, you know, just said, honey, no more babies, okay? Yeah. <laughs> like, we're, we're really glad that you're okay and he's okay. Let's just call this a win and, yeah. you know, go on. Um, and good for you for being in a space to be open to hear that. Yeah, and it you was, know what I mean? It was interesting because I really, I always I wanted like 12 kids. Yeah. Like, now I think I'm like, <laughs> I'm not sure I'm the three I have. I'm like, oh, you know, <laughs> crazy. But I, I think I just needed someone to tell me, like, it's okay to yeah. be, to not, don't push it. Like, mm-hmm. you, your mental health and your physical health, you, like, you're done. And um, so it was really hard. I was really sick after him. Um, mentally, I was, it was kind of in and out. It was hard. I had the anxiety um the sleeping again where i was checking on him all the time um was it as strong it wasn't as strong this time i think because i was aware Mm -hmm. i was on medication um my husband was very aware um so and then we were in a different place where he wasn't in school anymore he was around it was it was like i actually we were co-parenting i wasn't doing this alone and but my health continued to deteriorate and when Vaughn, our son, was, um, he was six months old, I had a seizure, a grand mal seizure. I was holding him and I happened to be at my parents' house and I had just driven there and I had only been there for a little while. And I was sitting on the floor, thankfully, listening to my sister talk about her Emmys dress because she was getting ready to go to the Emmys. And I remember listening and the next thing I remember is waking up and there were paramedics everywhere. And they don't know why. There, I spent a couple of years with the neurologist going over everything and trying to figure it out. And the only thing that they can pinpoint is I was on Wellbutrin at the time. And there's a very, very, very small percentage of people that do have seizures or can have seizures. And I know of one other person whose sister did have a seizure on it. And I've never heard of anyone else and I, I've never really looked up the statistics or anything, um, but I immediately was taken off of it and put on something else obviously um just in case yeah Yeah. um but it was very scary because if you've ever had a seizure you do not ever want to have another one Um, so we were dealing with a lot and so after that point um the doctor came in they sent in um i was very emotional it it kind of broke something in me that seizure and they sent in a social worker and i actually asked to be committed that night and she said, honey, are you gonna hurt yourself? And I said, no, I'm not gonna hurt myself. And she's like, okay, well, if you're not gonna hurt yourself, I can't commit you. I said, no, I need someone, I need to be somewhere. I said, I need someone to take me and I need you to fix me. Like, I'm not okay, I need you to commit me. And they said, legally, we can't commit you unless you are gonna hurt yourself. And I said, well, I don't I'm not really wanna hurt myself, thankfully. So I guess that's not gonna work. But, so we're gonna have to figure something else out. So I started talk therapy. That was the first time in my life I had done therapy, um, which I have continued to do since. And it has changed my life. And has been, I think, the biggest thing um, to heal me. Um, Not only heal the, the postpartum anxiety and depression that I experienced, 
but go back into my childhood and just life experiences and everything and really, really dig deep and to do the work and heal um, because we all have things that happen in our lives, yes. you know. Um, but it's been really interesting to be on this journey. Um, I think it's taken me a lot of years. I mean, I've 15 years into motherhood to finally accept it's okay to take care of myself. Um, that's okay to do things for me, um, to not feel guilty about it. Um, I was diagnosed two years ago with an incurable bladder disease. It's called interstitial cystitis. Um, it was basically my body during my last pregnancy was having all these kidney infections. After my son was born, I continued to see this urologist and was finally diagnosed with kind of what the worst case scenario was. Mm. Um, and it was devastating. It really is and continues to be devastating. <laughs> um, I just had my fourth bladder um, surgery a week ago today. Oh. Um, but seeing going in therapy and talking, um, I think whether it's for postpartum depression or anything in your life, whether it's, um, and I learned to, when you're dealing with a chronic illness, and I think there's a lot of mothers out there who have other really, really severe chronic health problems that either come on because of pregnancy, after pregnancy, or, or you know, pre-pregnancy. And I don't think we give that enough attention to what that does to ourselves, to our families, to our bodies. Um, because I mean, being a mom and just dealing with that alone is, uh, is overwhelming. Mm -hmm. But when your body, when you can't barely get out of bed every day and you're in excruciating pain and you still have a family to take care of, um, you need help to get through that. That's what I'm doing right now, is I'm going through kind of the grieving process um, of accepting that I have this incurable disease and I still have these children to raise and you know this husband and this family and this life to live and what is it gonna look like? I can look back and, and just see what a journey it's been. But I think I was, I never took care of myself before either. You know, I never, I was never one to, I still get my nails done or, you know, buy myself new clothes or, you know, I get my hair done. I, I always put myself last and I really am trying now, you know, at 37 to think about myself a little bit more because I have to, my body forced me to. Yeah. And I think if we, if we don't take care of ourselves one way or another we will be forced to That's so true mentally and physically yeah it's you can you can try to suppress it you can try to fight through it you can try to hide it you can try to do whatever you want whether it's mentally or physically but at some point your body or your mind will break and it's usually not good if you get to that point and i've been to that point both physically and mentally mm -hmm. and it's not good and um, one of the best things that I can look back and see is because my journey has been so, so many different aspects of it. You know, like every story was unique with each child. There was different aspects and different scenarios that happened. I was able to meet people and make connections with people that were suffering and going through it. Um, and I don't know you were in Canada, we were friends, and you had left, and I distinctly remember you messaging me, and it was like in the middle of the night, <laughs> right? I mean, and I don't even remember what it said. I don't even remember, but it was something to the effect of you reaching out, and you were, you were crying out for help. Mm-hmm. And I well, don't you were the first friend that helped me realize even what anxiety was when we would play bunko yeah. way before Canada. Right. And I don't and I mean we were we were good friends, but I I I always was, you know, I don't know what maybe why I was the one that you reached out to. I know you have, you know, this wonderful family support and all these wonderful people, 
um, but I always felt kind of this this honor that you reached out to me and asked for help and I was so proud of you and then at the same time I was like wait I can I can help you like I can do this like this is something good that I can bring from my story and I know what you're feeling and I know what you're going through and my heart broke because anytime you don't want people to suffer um but I felt like I could help you or I could be there for you even though you were in another country (laughs) you know um I knew you got it though because I knew that you had dealt with because you were open about that you're you're so open about things and I love that about you and you're (laughs) compassionate and kind but also understanding and I never felt judged by you and I remember just like in that time frame I knew that you had lived away from home Mm -hmm. and away from family and you'd had that separation and so I knew that you would get that Mm -hmm. and you wouldn't judge me for it like everyone needs a friend like Andrea (laughs) you're so sweet seriously though oh well thank you You it's a very Mm -hmm. nice compliment but it it was um and I, I think I've never been ashamed or scared to share my story um I've never been really afraid of what people would think of me um I'm, you know, one of those people that's kind of like, if if you're going to like me, you're going to like me. If you don't, you don't. Um, you know, kind of what you see is what you get. But I am pretty open. I talk a lot about bladders now. That's <laughs> <laughs> I know, I remember. <laughs> I love it because we all want to say this stuff, you know? You know, and, and the not? thing is, is that, yeah, like, why is it something that we're scared to talk about? I mean, this is happening and this is real and there's so many people that are suffering. And I think... You know, for me, going out on this this journey through this this interstitial cystitis, and it's kind of this new journey. I can look back and see it's kind of like with postpartum anxiety and with postpartum um, depression, where it was when it was kind of taboo, and people weren't talking about it. And now that people are talking about it, I just want to like scream and shout from the you know like Seriously. yes yes like hi finally yes people were talking about it like. I'm so happy and I'm so glad that there's this platform and that there's people that are willing to discuss it and willing to talk about it and share their stories because that we have to. And that's how I feel with, you know, these chronic illnesses as well is that there is this community of people that you have to share your story. Mm-hmm. And I really feel that there's not a lot I can do right now. I, I, you know, my, my illness is very debilitating at times. Um, I have two children with very, very severe ADHD, um, and very, very demanding. Um, it just takes a lot, very kind of unique situations. And, um, most days I'm just kind of barely hanging on. But I feel very, very strongly that I can talk. <laughs> I've never, I've been, if you read my report cards, it's like, Andrea likes to talk. <laughs> and we move her to another spot and she keeps talking. <laughs> I was the same way. Yeah. And you know. And look what we're doing I now, know. we're talking. <laughs> and, and so I, I think if, if, if something good can come of the crap and the negative and the hard that's come, then it'll be worth it. Mm-hmm. And um, I know you had Janessa on here. Yes, we love her. And she is in my neighborhood. And I met her. Her and I were both pregnant. Um, she was pregnant with her first at the time. They had adopted their oldest. And she was pregnant with Boston. And I was pregnant with Vaughn. And they were born about a week apart. And we met at the park. And we were huge and pregnant and miserable. And it was like complaining. You know, we were just like instantly friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was like that connection was oh, yeah. made. And our boys are best friends and and that we just I I just adore her and so she came to me I um felt very prompted one night to um just send her polo and I just had I had had I had just had um a hysterectomy (laughs) I had a hysterectomy last fall and um I was recovering from surgery and I was just sort of, you know, kind of, you know, homebound and was thinking about her and uh, 
just had sent her this long Marco Polo randomly and didn't realize that night that she, um, it was kind of this, this really, really rough night um, that she had first started experiencing her stuff. And for some reason, I had this, like, I mean, I was, like, a week out from a hysterectomy, and I was, like, drive over to, Genes- to Janessa's house right now. And I was, like, what? And I was, like, go over to Janessa's house right now. And it was that, like, 9 o'clock at night. And I'm, like, all right. <laughs> sure. So I drive over in my pajamas, you know, no bra, which is pretty normal Whatever. for me. <laughs> Whatever, you know. <laughs> Not like I got any true friends. <laughs> yeah. And I knock on the door. And she just fell into my arms. Mm-hmm. And it has been amazing to watch her um, and to be there. And to, um, she's so strong and she's so amazing and she's so open um, and willing to share what she's going through um, so much quicker than I think a lot of people are. And I'm so proud of her for that. She's amazing. She really is. And she's hilarious. Isn't she? Oh, yeah. can you, how can you not love <laughs> I her? Know. But again, it was that feeling of like, I, I have something that I can help you and I can talk with you. And, and, and so that really, I think, has bonded us. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, with that, like Leslie, we're bonded for life. Oh, like, yeah. you're stuck with me, sister. Forever. <laughs> Forever. Yes. And um, I think, I just think it's important to share our journey. And I think it's important to be aware. And I think it's important for us to as women as sisters as friends i think it's important to watch out for each other watch out for your friends that are having babies um not just right away but even a year later two years later you know to really really watch and just be aware of things that are going on and um don't be afraid to ask are you okay you know i agree and I don't, and I don't think that people get offended. And if they do, then that's you know that's not real friendship. Um, but I think don't be afraid to ask if you're okay. Like, hey, is everything okay? Like, and if it if you're not, like, it's okay. Like, you can talk to me. Yeah. Like, if you're not ready to open up to someone else, you can talk to me about it. Um, but I think that's the biggest thing that I think we can do as women, um, and women that have been through it, is I think because we're more aware. And I see it. Mm-hmm. Um, is is to is to watch watch for it, yeah. and to help those that are going through it, or at least kind of direct them in the right direction, or be supportive um, in whatever they want to do. Um, but you don't ever want to be the what if I you know I'd asked. Oh, I know. I love. There's a quote I saw. <laughs> like a year ago when I was like thinking about doing stuff with postpartum and I told my husband I want to I want to do something I want to spread I want to talk about it um and then one night I was just like I'm not gonna do it it's gonna be too exhausting I'm not gonna do it and then I saw a quote that my friend shared that was like and I'll probably quote this wrong so don't quote me okay but it's (laughs) like there's a special place in hell for women who don't help other women and I was like okay Duly noted. <laughs> All right, Looks I like hear you. Better uh, <laughs> take what I've been through and start helping yeah. women. And I think you know, and and maybe that's a little bit more fiery and graphic, right? <laughs> yeah. than, you know, I I, I don't. That's I, what I, it takes for me. I hope we're not going to burn <laughs> if we don't help each other, but maybe we will. <laughs> I don't want to find out, right? <laughs> no. I want I want to at least say that I I tried and I was there and I was willing to at least be supportive. Um, you know and and honestly people can tell me anything and i won't even blink an eye there's nothing anybody could say um any irrational fear any um and i know it can translate into other things where you you have those feelings of harming your baby um and there's so much shame and so much i think involved where people don't want to talk about it um but find someone that you can talk to Mm -hmm. and someone that you can trust and someone that won't judge you and isn't going to turn away and just say, hey, it's okay, you're fine. You're going to get, it's going to be okay. But it's going to take it seriously. And it's going to make sure you're okay and it's going to make sure you're going to get through it. Even if it's a stranger, like somebody said, I don't remember who, but someone else in the podcast said, even if it's just a stranger at the park, find someone. Yes. Say it out loud. Get it out. Yes. I I think that's so important. 
And so um, that is what I have done. I, I, I was with one therapist for about two years and I have since switched. Um, I wanted to try something different um, and really, really felt, I guess, as I kind of approached 40, um, that I was ready to really, really heal. Um, I knew that with an incurable disease, my body, it's not going to, I know that there's nothing that I can do to cure right now. Someday I hope there's a cure and I will do everything and I will be loud and I will talk to specialists around the world like I do and I will talk about it, but I can't cure myself. Um, But I can work on healing my brain and healing my mind and helping myself to accept kind of what I've been given um, and how, you know, and help myself deal with it. Um, And this particular therapist does a uh, treatment called EMDR, and we were just looking it up to see (laughs) what it was called, and I'm going to totally butcher it, but it's eye movement desensitization. Desensitization. There you go. Okay. Thank you. And reprocessing. It's a really interesting type of therapy. Um, you can do research on it. Um, but kind of the basics is it's, it's kind of digging into your subconscious and going really kind of deep into where you store all the stuff. So you're not just going to the surface. You're going, you're going deep to really, really heal. Um, and you hold two vibrating little, they're like these little hand things you just hold in your, you know, each hand and they just take at different, you know, frequencies. Um, and then you have headphones on that beep at different frequencies. And at least for me and how it works with our therapist is that she, um, we deal with negative core beliefs, you know, I'm worthless, I'm Mm -hmm. whatever that sort of thing. Um, and she will talk kind of as these things are beeping and the you know things are vibrating in your hand and how the science works and I you know I'm still kind of learning about it um, but it it kind of resets things for you and when you go to sleep um, it basically kind of pushes that like reset button so when you go back to that experience or you go back to that moment it is not as intense hmm. as it was before. So that's why they do it a lot for PTSD. Yeah. And it is amazing because I have been diagnosed with PTSD. How could you not? <laughs> I know. Seriously. I have medical PTSD because of my medical issues and then as well as stuff. Um, and so it is, it's been really amazing. I don't, I, I don't do it as much because once again, I'm a talker. And I love my therapist, and so we love to chat. Well, and I feel like you'd have to be in a space to you, to go there. You really do. And, and, and that was like today, because I wanted to be able to share my story, and I wanted to be able to kind of get across what I wanted to. And so I went in with a specific thing in mind, and I was ready to like go in and, and kind of get rid of that anxiety that I was holding on to um, to prepare myself. And then I went home, and I took a nap. I hit that reset button and I woke up and that anxiety was gone. It's amazing. And I felt like, okay, but I can do this, you know? And, um, so however you, you know, choose to, to do your, you know, your process, um, there's so many options and, and I think that I'm so grateful. There's so many options now. Um, there wasn't. 15 years ago I think if I had gone looking I I don't even know where where I would have started Mm -hmm. but I definitely wouldn't have found um what I what I have now for sure so what this is like our famous question we always ask but it's amazing the different answers we get so on your worst day Mm -hmm. maybe with Kaylee or maybe with when you're diagnosed with a chronic illness Mm -hmm. your worst day since you've become a mom what would you tell yourself? What would you tell a mom out there that's in that space where she's just, admit me, help me? Mm-hmm. So I would say, uh, take a breather, probably. 
take a minute, um, find a door that locks. <laughs> but I definitely take time out and I've recognized that and I am able to now say to my husband or to whoever is there, okay, um, mom needs a time out. Like, I need a breather. Like, I've reached my limit. This is me, like, this is kind of the warning, you know, alarm going off before mom totally loses it. Um, and when I was going through a lot of stuff right after my seizure, I was having, I had some really, really severe anxiety where I actually had to call my parents. Um, most mornings they would have to come over and help me get my kids ready for school. I really had to put aside any, you know, any shame or any fear or whatever I felt in asking for help. And I am not one to ask for help. I'm the one that likes to help. Um, and I've had to learn to accept a lot of help. <laughs> and it's okay. It's okay to ask for help. Mm-hmm. And it's okay to not be Wonder Woman. And, um, and something my, the therapist said today that was really great and something I think that we need to remember too is that as mothers too, we look at our children a lot and we base our value on them and how they are, their success, their behavior, their, you know, how they are. And we let that affect us and reflect on, you know, and I'm trying to let that go as well. And just learning to, you know, let it be and let them be and do the best I can. And I think that's all we're trying, right? Yeah. I think we're all just trying to do the best we can. And it's okay. It's okay to not be superwoman. It's okay to have bad days bad weeks bad years um but there's people out there and there's people that will love you and hug you and you know laugh with you and cry and tell hilarious stories that you'll never share with anyone else (laughs) (laughs) some of the best memories with andrea yes (laughs) ever so anyway i think that yeah i love it thank you so much thank Thank you you. i love the time out yeah mom needs a timeout yeah that's like signal yeah to the kids yeah give yeah. yourself a minute give myself a minute Go to punch just, the pillow yeah take some deep breaths well we tell our kids to do that so it right. makes sense that we would do that for ourselves yeah, that's so. true good point yeah. yeah and punch the pillow i always tell pen- rj to take a deep breath i never do that right we're always wow. like hey chill out right yeah. <laughs> like take it take it Relax. take a minute go take be a by minute. Your, go to your room go be your, by yourself yeah. right so maybe next time i give rj any counsel I should just be like wait hold on me too I love my kids where they're like mom why don't you just go take a nap <laughs> yeah oh really <laughs> okay <laughs> oh, that's awesome thank you so much oh. for sharing with us you've just brought a totally different perspective yeah. and I just mm. really am so grateful that you've come well, thank you thank you for letting me share thank you for listening to the rising phoenix podcast if you feel like you can relate and would be open to share your story with us please email us at risingphoenixpodcast at gmail.com. For more information on local and national resources for pregnancy and postpartum health, visit www.postpartum.net or www.psiutah.org. We are recording from the Stone Sheba Podcast Studio in Provo, Utah. Check them out on Instagram for more info on our podcast and others. Thanks for listening.